We're going to be in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you were with us last week, we looked at the first just seven verses of John chapter 9. We're going to finish the chapter today. Um, amazing story uh, that we looked at last week about a man who was born blind and who was healed by our Lord Jesus. Uh, and today we're going to look at the aftermath, the reaction to that, what, what people do as a result of that story. So John 9, let me read aloud uh, as you follow along. John 9, beginning in uh, verse 8. Of course, these words come to us today by... John, the disciple of our Lord, um, but they come under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's hear together the word of Christ. John 9, beginning in verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him, this is the blind man, before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man that used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, no, no. It's a man that looks like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and he anointed my eyes. And he said, go and go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I, I don't know. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who'd formerly been blind it was the Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again began to ask him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can this man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered, well, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know of who, who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, and he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Because the Jews had already said that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, then he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and they said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, is that I was blind, but now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, 
You were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the man who was formerly blind answered Jesus and he said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is now speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees heard him say these things, and they said, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Hans Christian Andersen, he was a guy that wrote stories. He was an author, amazing storyteller. Uh, Disney, those of you Disney fans out there, has retold many of his stories like The Little Mermaid or Frozen. These are retellings of Hans Christian Andersen stories or The Ugly Duckling. Now, Disney kind of makes them a little nicer and a little more full of uh, wonder, but the stories are, are really interesting. And, and the original stories are a little more punchy than the Disney stories. They, they reveal a lot of the irony that exists in the world. They're usually a critique of society or of human nature, but, but no story of Hans Christian Andersen is, is more this than his story, The Emperor's New Clothes. It tells the story of an emperor who loved clothes. And one day, these, um, these tailors, you know, tailors who were really swindlers come to town and the emperor, you know, loved clothes and he hears about these guys and they made these amazing clothes, these magical clothes. And the, the word on the street was the clothes are so great that only smart people could see them, right? Fools couldn't see them, but the smart people could. And so if you couldn't see the clothes, you were obviously a fool, and the emperor really wanted the clothes that these guys made. And so, you know, they said, well, it's going to cost you most of your gold. But he, but he loved clothes and he, you know, believed in these tailors. And so he said, here, here's my gold. Go to making the clothes. And so these guys went to working and they made the emperor this amazing outfit and they put him on it and they gawked about how beautiful the outfit was. Now, the king couldn't see the outfit, but he didn't want to, be a fool. He didn't want to be known as a fool, so he just went along with the charade. He said, wow, this outfit really is amazing, and went along with the whole thing. And of course, if you know the story, the, the hook of the story is there was no outfit, right? There never was an outfit. The, the whole time, the king was just standing there before everybody naked, but he didn't want to appear foolish, and nobody else in his court wanted to appear foolish, and so everybody just went along with the story, and everybody just went along about how great the king's outfit was. Well, there was going to be a parade, and so the emperor was going to parade in front of his whole kingdoms, from his whole empire, and he went out in his new clothes, parading before the entire empire, and nobody wanted to be a fool. You know, nobody, nobody wanted to be known as a fool because only fools couldn't see the material that the clothes 
were made out of. And so everybody just went on about how amazing the king's outfit was, even though he was parading out in front of everyone totally naked. And finally, a child (laughs) speaks up among the crowd and says famously, the emperor has no clothes. And And when the child said this, the emperor realized, oh, <laughs> I've been duped. I've been fooled. And by this point, of course, the, the tailors, the swindlers were far away. They'd made off with the king's gold. But what's so interesting about this story is rather than admit that he had been taken advantage of, rather than admit that he had been fooled, he actually just kept going along with the charade, kept marching through the city as if he was wearing the most spectacular outfit that ever been made. It's an interesting story. It's a telling story. And it's actually very similar to this story. If you were here last week, first part of John 9, something amazing happens. Amazing. Jesus heals this man who was born blind. It, it had never happened. We have no record of anything like this ever happening. And this week, of course, we see the reaction to it. How is everyone going to respond to this incredible thing that has happened? And in this story, three things, there's so much in this. I I wish I could just preach this text a few weeks. But in in this text, we see three things. First of all, just the power of preconception or presuppositions, the power of presuppositions. Secondly, we, we see the power of cultural pressure And then finally, we see the power of Jesus. So let's look at the power of preconceptions or presuppositions. Now, what's so interesting about this story is the most amazing thing that any of these people has ever seen has happened. A man who was born blind can now see, and yet the people don't want to believe it. The people don't want to see it. Look at verse 8. And this is so interesting. You know, I, I was just in uh, Jerusalem and our guide on this trip, he was great. He grew up in the old city. Have you ever been, have any of y'all ever been to the old city of Jerusalem? It's very tight, you know, it's very compact. And, you know, it's different now. There's different buildings now. Of course, Jerusalem's one of those cities that just they kept building on top of each other. But the basic layout of the city is the same as it was in the time of Jesus. It was tight, it was compact, people lived close to each other. And what was so cool about our guide is everywhere we went in the old city, you know, all the shop owners, all the, uh, the people in marketplaces, all the people, he knew everybody, right? Because he'd been living there his whole life. He'd been passing by these people his entire life. And, and it was just amazing to see how he interacted. Well, this is the same thing. This, this This man had lived in Jerusalem his entire life. He was the blind man. Everybody knew him. And so here's his neighbors. This is the neighbors who had seen him before begging were saying, wait, is this not, you know, is this not Joe? It's interesting in the story, they only refer to him as the man born blind. But is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yes, it's he. But others said, these people that haven't seen him his whole life, no, it can't be him. It's just a lookalike, right? It's just like him. But of course, the man kept saying, no, I am the man. It's me. It's me. I've been healed. This amazing thing has happened 
to me. He, he actually, later on in the story, he says something that has never happened in the history of the world. Now, that, that was true in terms of Jewish literature. You know, you see a lot of amazing things. You've read the Old Testament, you see a lot of amazing things in the Old Testament. But in all the Old Testament, and even in all extra, you know, biblical literature that we see from Jewish culture, there, there's never an occurrence, never, not even one time, of a man who was born blind receiving his sight. And yet this has happened. This most amazing thing has happened and none of them want to see it. So they bring him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees are even more defiant. The, the Pharisees clearly don't believe this man. They keep asking him, how did this happen? Of course, the neighbors say, you know, in verse 10, how are your eyes opened? The Pharisees then ask him again in verse 15. They say, how, you know, how, asked him how did he receive his sight? And then they ask him again. They ask him another time. In verse 26, they, they keep asking him, what did he do to open your eyes? They can't accept that this thing has happened. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to believe it. Jesus had done something that had totally wrecked their worldview. And in this, we see the power of presupposition or preconception. There's a lot of key passages in this. But one of the passages to really understand this story, it comes in verse 22 when the Pharisees and the parents are interacting. But it says the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. This is a key passage. And in the synagogue at this time, and this is a big deal, the synagogue at this time, it was the center of life. It was the center of social life. It was the center of identity. It was the center of community. It's where people had a sense of themselves. It was the center of religious life, obviously. So this was a big deal. It was a very serious threat. Now, if you're new to Bible study, you may be saying, okay, Little new Bible study here. I thought that the Jewish people wanted a Messiah, right? I thought that they were looking for a Messiah. And so why are they so resistant of the Messiah? Why are they so resistant of these messianic signs that Jesus showed them? And of course, the answer is, is because they didn't have any control over Jesus. <laughs> Jesus didn't owe these people anything. Jesus was operating outside of their conventional power structure. So they were hopeful for a kind of Messiah, but a kind of Messiah that met their needs, a kind of Messiah that came along and met their preconceptions or presuppositions. And then Jesus comes along and they have no ownership of him. He's totally different than they expected him. So they say, if you believe in him, if you believe in this Jesus guy, if you start to say this Jesus guy is the Messiah, then you're out. We won't let you in the synagogue. And what's so ironic about this story is that the real Messiah had come and he heals this blind man, yet they were too blind to see. And that brings me to the question of well, what about us? This text speaks to the power of presuppositions. You know, there's some of you here today and you're intrigued by Jesus, but you're having trouble really seeing Jesus, really believing in Jesus, really following in Jesus because of something that you've already decided, right? The Jews had already decided if anyone confesses Jesus to be the Christ, they're out of the synagogue. And for some of you, you know, there, there, is, some, there is some social structure thing or there's some family thing. I, I couldn't be a Christian, right? Christians are like this, where if my friends knew that I was even going to church or my parents knew, they, they would put me out. Has that preconception, has that, has that predecision blinded you from seeing something that Jesus may be doing in your life 
that Jesus may be calling you, that he may be showing himself to you. Jesus is trying to show himself to you, but you're refusing to see. You know, there was a division among them, right? Some wanted to see, but would they be accepted if they did? It's interesting, you know, the, the Pharisees, they, they want to kind of grab hold of their theological or spiritual authority. They ask the man up here, they say, you know, what do you say about him? And the man just says in verse 17, he is a prophet. Now, simply, that would just mean God sent him, right? He is sent from God. He is from God. I don't know much about him, but I do know that he is from God. I mean, I love the response down here in verse 25, very famous thing. They're talking about whether Jesus is a sinner. He says, I don't know much about him. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. He is a prophet. He is from God. We need to listen to him. We need to see what has happened here. This amazing thing has happened. So that's, that's the irony of this story. The story begins with this guy who starts off a blind beggar with nothing to offer. He's never been to the temple. But by the middle of the story, now he's not only seeing physically, he's also seeing spiritually, and he is preaching truth about Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Don't you see? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has we, have we ever heard of anyone that opened the eyes of a man born blind. If he was not from God, he could do nothing. Don't you see what you're doing here? I mean, isn't it obvious that God is trying to speak to you? Isn't, God, isn't it obvious that God is trying to show himself to you through this man? Yet you're canceling Jesus. You're writing him off. What if he is from God? He's healed a man born blind. Don't you see what's happening here? The blind beggar has become the preacher. And all the preachers can't see. All the preacher, their eyes are closed. Their ears are closed. He's the only one who has sense in the story. He's the, he's the only one to say, can't you see the emperor has no clothes on? And you know what they do? You know what the people do? This feels so familiar, doesn't it? It feels so familiar. He's winning the argument, right? They don't have much to say. He's winning the argument. He, he was born blind. They can't say anything back to him. They, so rather than argue back to him, you know what they do? This feels so familiar. They just do an ad hominem kind of attack to him. They say, well, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us. Doesn't that feel familiar? You know, you ever try to converse with somebody and you're making points and rather than like address the argument, they just say, well, you're stupid. You're fat. I don't want to talk to you anymore. They attack the man. You were born in utter sin, and they cast him out. You know, there are some of you that are here today, and your preconceptions or your presuppositions are keeping you from seeing God. And there are some of you who are here today, and your preconceptions or presuppositions are keeping you from really seeing God. Some of you want Jesus in your life, you just don't want Jesus to have control of your life. You want a God-like figure who will bless you. You just don't want a Lord, one who has control over your soul and over your life. That's your preconception that, you know, I just want Jesus to kind of bless me, but 
If that's your presupposition or your preconception, you're going to miss the real Jesus. If you have this preconception of how Jesus should be, it may cause you to miss who Jesus actually is. When Jesus comes to you and says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you'll resist that. When Jesus comes to you and says, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted, you won't like that. When Jesus comes to you about, says what he says about sexual ethics and marriage, that sex is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman, you'll resist that because you just want Jesus to bless you. You don't want him to be your Lord, your reason, your anchor in life. When Jesus says what he says about money and comfort and persecution, <laughs> those things won't sit well with you. You know, we talked about this last week. Many of us have a presupposition that God kind of owes us a comfortable life. And if that's your presupposition, when you hear what Scripture has to say about sacrificial giving, you'll never give sacrificially because the bigger thing is my comfort. You'll never do anything dangerous for the Lord. You'll never take a risk. You'll, you'll certainly never be willing to be persecuted for the Lord. The Jews had already decided, right? There was this preconception. If anyone... If anyone looks this to Jesus as the Christ, he'll be put out of the synagogue. And it didn't matter what Jesus did. This presupposition, this preconception had blinded them when the real Messiah showed up. They had a preconception that blinded them to Jesus. Do you? Do you? Are you not hearing him because of some idea that you already had in your head? Is he, is he not able to show himself, even though he's showing up in the most obvious ways? Are you not seeing him? because something else is blinding you. The second thing that we see in this text, so helpful, is the power of cultural pressure. Okay, there's a lot in this text, so I wish I could get to you today, but there's a really interesting case study in the passage. And it's the man's parents. It's very interesting. Two things are kind of going on when they put his parents on trial. I mean, let's talk about the parents. And again, I'm we don't have a ton of detail about the parents, but so I'm, I'm reading into this a little bit, but, but bear with me here. I think it's a very fascinating case study. Their son, I mean, imagine having a child, I mean, those are your parents. If a child is born blind, and, and this is not like in an age where there's a lot of, you know, handicap accessibility things. I mean, this is first century. This is not an age where this would have been easy. And, and all of a sudden, this son who had been born blind, this amazing thing has happened to him. He's received his sight. He's been totally healed. And all the parents can think about is being thrown out of the synagogue. There, there's such a cultural pressure. There's, there's such a, a fear of the Jews, this feared social pressure that, 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 that all they can fear is that maybe somehow the name of Jesus will get pinned on them you know, it's interesting, you know, when they answer the question, uh, Dr. Muller preached on this text three years ago when he was here and he pointed this out. I thought it was interesting. They, they, they ask him, verse 19, they say, is this your son who was born blind? How is it that he now sees? And, you know, he pointed this out in a sense of, you know, if there's a, a they're questioning a criminal 
and the theft kind of has a tell. He gives her, the thief gives away too much money. He says, you know, I don't know, I don't know what happened at the bank and you'll never find where we hid the money, you know. You know, it gives a little too much detail in his response. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. He says, well, they say, they just say, is this your son who was born blind? How does he see? Well, he said, we know as our son, we know he's born blind. How he now sees, we don't know. And then here's the tell. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Please, please don't associate us with Jesus. Please don't throw us out of the synagogue. It's a tell. So they push it off to their son. <laughs> Ask him. He is of age. Let him speak for himself. And again, it tells us his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Now, now, first of all, I mean, there's a few things going on here. You can deduce, um, you know, maybe these weren't the greatest of parents. I mean, they should have been more excited. Their son has received his sight. I mean, even before this, I mean, you would think, I mean, I would hope if, if I was the parent here, I would say, son, you'll, you'll never have to be a beggar. We will take care of you. There was something going on between them and their son here. And I think the answer comes from what we looked at last week. You remember the question that the disciples asked Jesus? Remember the question? They said, way back at the beginning of the story, they said, who sinned that this man would be born blind? Him or his parents? Him or his parents? And of course, some disciples maybe thought it was him. Some disciples maybe thought it was his parents. But, you know, again, I don't know. But I'm going to guess a lot of people thought it was his parents. It was them. And they'd been walking around their whole life in this kind of shame-filled culture. And everybody was looking at them like, what did you do? What did you do? What sin are you hiding that God would strike your son with blindness? What have you done that's so bad that this guy would have to suffer his whole, they must be really bad. We can assume, I think, from this story that these parents have been carrying around this label of sinner their entire life. And the thing that they most wanted to protect was any sort of social comfort that they had. They, they certainly didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. And I can imagine that this fear and shame ruled their life. And it was a fear and shame that kept them from seeing Jesus. And I want to say the same thing to you today. Look, there are some of you today and your life is ruled by shame. And your life is ruled by fear. And, and it's a fear and a shame that's the dominant force in your life. And it's fear and shame that's helping you from really knowing God and really worshiping God and really being safe in the arms of God. For some of you, you're just tired of being hurt. It's, it's so hard for you to trust a community. You've trusted a community. You've been vulnerable. You've tried that before. They said it was a safe space, right? And you spoke up, and now you're an outcast. And safe space, of course, only meant if you share things that are socially acceptable with this community. You've been burned, and you're hiding. And for some of you, it might be a porn addiction. Some of you, maybe some family issue that you're, 
you don't want anybody to know about. It may be same-sex attraction, and you have no idea what would happen if you confess that to someone. Some of you may have some anger issue that you is inside of you, and the bitterness, it's just with you every day. And every time you see that person, it just destroys you. But you don't know how to talk about it. Some of you, you're angry at God. And what would a church community say if you said that? Some of you, maybe you failed at something. And it's a shame that you carry around. You've maybe been a bad parent and you're hiding from your children. Maybe for some of you, it's some dream that you knew was gonna work out and it didn't. It's been so disorienting. I mean, these parents... They have been damaged. I can imagine the world around them. Everyone looked at them and said, what did you do? And they're in fear, and there's so much shame and fear in their lives that even when their child, (laughs) who was born blind, is miraculously healed in a way that has never happened in the history of humanity, they can't see it. Their greatest concern is to be put out of the synagogue and they can't take hold of the very one that has given their son and their family hope again. This is the power of cultural pressure, and it's everywhere. It's certainly in the world. We live in a shaming and judgmental and self-righteous and self-centered and unsympathetic and unmerciful world. And the sad things in these worldly things can creep into the church. And they creep into the church when we fail to realize the third point here, and that is the power of Jesus. I love this story because it begins with so many evidences of a fallen world. There's so much in this story. I mean, there's suffering, there's self-righteousness, there's fear, there's shame, there's contempt, there's division, there's rivalries, there's there's self-centeredness. It's all packed into this little story, these things that we deal with every day. As I mentioned, I also love this story. It's full of irony, right? It doesn't go how you think it would go. It's one of the reasons I believe the Bible so much. You know, if you were just writing a story about the Messiah, here's how it would go. Jesus came, he healed the blind man, the blind man received his sight, and everybody was amazed, and everybody lived happily ever after. Like That's how you would expect the story would go, but that's not how the story goes at all. In fact, Everything that is normal at the beginning of the story has been turned totally upside down. The man who had no hope, who was born blind, is the only one who can see. And everyone else who you thought could see at the beginning of the story, they seem fine. They're the ones who end up blind. There's this very interesting passage at the end of the story. And and I think that it's kind of one of these passages that just grabs grabs the whole story. It kind of grabs the whole story in one little passage. Jesus says in verse 39, flip down there with me if you have your Bibles. He says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. I came into this world for judgment's sake, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of you may be bothered by that. Is is this saying that Jesus has come to make people blind? In one sense, yes, but in a more accurate sense, he has come to reveal the blindness that they already had. When Jesus comes, the judge comes. What is true is revealed. And those who are blind, it's revealed. Even though everyone around thought that those 
who, as we see in this story, actually are blind, were the ones who could see. But in the end, it's them who were blind. You know, there's two microcosms right around this statement that, that really kind of grab, I think, the whole meaning of the story. After Jesus says this in verse 39, the Pharisees near him, it says they heard these things. And they said, are we also blind? You talking about us, Jesus? And he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And I think what he's really saying there is, is <laughs> you're so confident in your presupposition you're so confident that you can see, you're so confident that you have it right, that when God himself comes before you and shows up in this way that you've never experienced before, you're so blind to it. You know, if you could just open your eyes, you would have no guilt. If you could just recognize the Messiah, you'd be able to see that your hopes would be fulfilled, but your preconception or societal pressure, it's so blinding that you can't even see the most obvious thing. It's like the people in the story, you can't even see that the emperor has no clothes. You're unwilling to see the most obvious thing that the Messiah has come. Jesus comes and he reveals their blindness. But on the other side, he doesn't just come to reveal blindness. He comes that those who do not see may see. He comes to give sight and I love the interaction that he has right before this with this man. Of course, this man has been preaching. I mean, I love this guy. He starts off story as a blind beggar, and then he's preaching to the Pharisees. And he's telling them what is obviously true. And, and this man, I mean, if you think about it, we talked about this a little bit last week. He would never have been allowed into the temple because he was blind. Now he can see, and for the first time ever, he gets the thing that he would have wanted his whole life, access into the temple, and he goes there, and he's so confident in Jesus that he immediately gets thrown out. <laughs> he immediately gets excommunicated. They cast him out. They excommunicate him. And I love this text here. Is Jesus, he heard that they had cast him out and having found him. I love this about our Lord, that he finds us and he goes and he finds this man. He pursues him, he loves him. And he says to the man, do you believe in the son of man? The son of man is a, it's a messianic phrase. It's, it's, it's intended to be the Messiah. Son of Man, from Daniel 7, it's, here's how you can understand that phrase. It's the one who fulfills all of God's promises. Do you believe there's one who's coming that will fulfill all of God's promises? And I love the man's answer. Remember earlier in verse 17, he said, he is a prophet, meaning Jesus. So he doesn't know Jesus is the Messiah. He just knows whatever this guy says, I'm gonna listen to him. And so he answers, he says, well, who is he, sir? that I may believe, right? <laughs> Whoever you tell me the son of man is, I'm going with. That's who I'm gonna follow. Yeah, you know, I may not have believed much in the son of man before. I don't know, <laughs> I've been blind my whole life. I had some bitterness, I had some anger, but you have done something in me. And whoever you say to follow, I will follow. And I love Jesus's answer. He says, you have seen him. And it is he who is now speaking to you. Has Jesus revealed himself to you like this? 
Is Jesus trying to show himself to you today? I mean, I'm asking you. Is Jesus trying to get your attention? Is he saying, come on, quit listening to them. Quit doing that. Follow me. Don't you see that all of God's promises are fulfilled in me? Won't you just give yourself to me? Don't you see how much I love you? Don't you see how I long to be with you and to bless you and to give you life and rest and healing as Jesus revealed himself to you like this? And are your presuppositions and societal pressures keeping you from seeing? I hope in this moment you are seeing that God is opening your eyes. And I love this statement of saving faith. What does it mean to believe? He just says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Such a clear picture of saving faith. Have you believed? Are you looking to Jesus? Have you realized that he is your only hope, that all the promises of God are fulfilled in him? He's the son of man. What's keeping you from him? Will you leave all that behind today? And you may be like this man. You may have to say, look, I don't fully understand. (laughs) I certainly don't fully understand. I don't really know where he comes from. I don't even necessarily know where he's going. But one thing I know, I was blind before. And now I see. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind today. not necessarily physically right now, but spiritually. That we would have ears to hear. That we would have eyes to see. That we would have hearts to believe. I pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would do your work in this church. You would bring conviction and you would bring comfort and mercy to many hearts in this room. I pray for the man or the woman here that has been dominated by shame or fear. I pray for the person that has some sort of blinding preconception that you would open their hearts, you would open their eyes, and that they would see the mercy and the love of Jesus today. Turn our hearts toward him. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. May that be our response as we look to Christ. In Jesus' name.